This is Quinn. We're, we're going to read together. You get two for the price of one today. And we thought this would be a fitting passage. It's one that um, we've found ourselves looking at quite often, and we really need it. And so, um, yeah, let me pray, and then, we'll, and then we'll, we'll read Ephesians 5, starting at verse 21. So, Father, yeah, bless, um, bless all, all the people here uh, with the hearing of your word. Uh, we thank you for the way that uh, this part of your word speaks um, clearly into relationships, and we pray that uh, you'll help us uh, and Josh as he teaches us. Uh, help us as a church to be applying this uh, for your glory. Amen. Do you want to use this one? Or? Oh, Go for it. Okay, we're going to start at Ephesians 5:21, all the way to 6:9. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him.
Let's pray. Our Father, once again, I come before you, um, again, knowing that uh, this is a difficult passage, Lord, uh, and I need your help. Uh, here, I'm, here I am reminded that um, many of these identities apply to myself, a father, husband, and a child. Uh, Lord, I pray that you help me as I teach this passage to preach to myself first, that as I'm reflecting on it, that I might be able to share my insight with my brothers and sisters here. Help all of us to get our identity from you. Help all of us to get our approval from you. In Jesus' name, amen. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Those were the words of a young man who was single-mindedly focused on serving God and living his life in such a way as to be seen as being approved by God. Uh, that man was Jim Elliot. Um, in the year 1945, Jim enrolled as a freshman to Wheaton College. Uh, and as Part of his uh, experience, he was reflecting on what, what was he doing there, right? First year in college. Uh, and so this is what he wrote, right? He's thinking about the fact that many people went to the college to get an education. They think they're going to get an education. But actually, many people got an education without having to need to go to the college. Uh, and so what was he there for? And so the kind of education that Jim was looking for uh, the, the kind of degree that he was aiming for is what he called the degree of A-U-G, the degree of approved unto God. All right? That was what he was striving for in life. Now, let me ask the question, what about you? Do you have a degree in life? Some of you may have a degree. Some of you may have a few degrees. Some of you may not have a degree. Does it matter? Not really. Because the most important degree in life is what Jim called the degree of AUG, right? Being approved unto God. Now, I remember the first time, I, I distinctly remember the first time I read this part of Jim's journal, his, his kind of his diary, because I had just finished my first year uh, at Macquarie University. Um, was doing psychology at that time. And again, I, like many young people at that time, I was wondering, well, God, what is, what is my purpose in life? Am I doing the right thing in life? Also, I had just broken up with a girl uh, whom, when I first met her, uh, she dyed her hair orange. She's kind of really one out, you know, out there. She's just sitting there now. Uh, so this is what happened, right? We, we, were both, we both wanted to serve God full-time. We were both uh, serving on campus in student ministry. Uh, and by the end of first year, we had gotten really close very quickly. And it's kind of, at the end of that first year, we, we, we felt like, hey, maybe, maybe we needed to take some time off, right? Things got really... Um, we got really close, very close there. We were just wondering, is this the right thing? Maybe we'll take some time off to figure out 
whether is this something that God wanted us to be in. Will this relationship, in other words, be a distraction for us to serve God? Uh, and so I went back to Singapore for a holiday and Valerie went to Indonesia. Uh, without you know, realizing it, we were both reading the same book, the same, you know, same book written by Elizabeth Elliot called The Shadow of the Almighty. Uh, and then when we came back after the summer holiday, that, that was the passage uh, that we got, um, we could share with one another. But that was kind of how we, we, we kind of know. You know, the passage for us today is really not about being married or single or about parenting and slavery, right? Yeah, those are the topics, but that's not what it's really about. Uh, and it really doesn't matter, in my opinion, whether at this point you are single or married, whether you're still a student or whether you're already in the workforce uh, and you hate your job or you like your job, right? Because the, the bigger question to ask is, what is God's will for your life? And are you living your life in such a way that you could, you could know that, yeah, I, 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 my approval comes from God and not from man? Am I putting God first? And so some of you, I'm aware that, you know, it's a broken world. It's a, it's a complicated world as well. Uh, some of you are, are in a dating relationship, about to, be get, about to get married. That's great. Some of you are in a relationship. You're living with someone, but you're not married. Uh, and some of you are married, right? There's all kinds of people that we are, we are, we are speaking to as a church, and that, that's the reality here. But the foundational application for us today is, is that's, not, that's not the most important thing, right? It's not about married, single. The foundational application here today is about approval from God, right? That's, that's what we want to focus on. And so Paul wrote to his apprentice, right, his disciple, Timothy, uh, again, Paul was uh, towards the end of his life, and Paul was in prison. Right? That, that's what happened. Uh, and Paul wrote to Timothy to say, Look, "Do your best to present yourself as uh, do your do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a work a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth." Now, I suspect that this is where Jim Elliot got his phrase, right? You know, the degree of life which is approved unto God. Um, see, if you read his biography, you will see that Jim Elliot loves the Word of God. That's why he spends a lot of his time. Right? His, his, his thinking was saturated by Scripture. The other thing that Jim got convinced as he was growing up was that there was this great imbalance uh, in the ministry of God's Word in the world. And there are countries where there are just the abundance of workers, right? traditionally Christian countries, where there are a lot of workers uh, for you know, people who are already Christian. In comparison, there are countries where you know, there are so many people, thousands of people who, don't, who can't even see, meet a Christian, never heard of the Bible before, and yet there was only just one worker uh, in that big harvest field. Right? So it's lopsided. And so Jim decided that he was going to be a missionary. Uh, and so when he went to college, he realized that it's all training. Right? He needed his mind to be active. He needed to learn and do his best. But he also needed to prepare his body. Right? So he took part in, uh, he took up wrestling. 
Uh, and he was just physically active. Right? That's the kind of person he is. He, he lived his entire life uh, thinking that how will I please God in this, is, in this activity that, I want, that, that he was involved in. Now, he also got to know a girl called Elizabeth, right? A another person who was committed to, to mission. Right? Elizabeth Elliot was the one who wrote his, his, um, his biography. And the question they asked as a couple was the same. God, what is your will for us? Right? Is this relationship going to help us serve your kingdom? You see, Paul did not write right, this set of quotes and uh, you know, the, what we would call the household quotes, right, that the scholars would call the household quote. Paul didn't write this because here are some you know, prescriptive, magical things, behaviors, that if you follow them, right, you're going to get happiness. Right? You're going to find happiness in, in all your relationship. That's not the purpose, right, why Paul wrote this thing. And so if you very quickly look at the scriptures again, right, so all these categories were, by the way, good reading there, uh, mine and queen. So wives, submit to your, yourself to your own husband and to the Lord, verse, chapter 5, verse 22. Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, 525. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slave, obey your earthly masters as you would obey Christ. Masters, treat your, treat your slaves in the same way that you want to be treated by your master in heaven. Right? Now, do you notice what is the underlining principle right, in all of these relationships? What is it? Ultimately, it's all in the Lord, right? Ultimately, it is about seeking the approver, the approver from God in Christ and not from mankind. See, it's, it's really easy to forget. Sometimes we forget that Paul was in prison when he was writing this letter. Uh, and prison at that time really is not like prison today. Right? If you see pictures of prison in the ancient Near East, literally is a hole in the ground. Damned, cold. And yet Paul, you know, really he has so much joy here. You know, the entire Ephesian is just filled with the glory of Christ. Uh, Paul himself was counting the cause. He was paying the price for teaching and preaching the gospel. Here is a person whose approval comes from God and not from any of his relationship. But the question to ask is, so why would Paul write these sort of instructions for the church in prison? Right? It was down there. Didn't he have anything better to do? Why did, and why did he focus on these distinct categories, right? Parents, uh, husband and wife, parents and children, masters and slave. Well, the answer is that, you know, the early followers of Jesus uh, and Paul himself, they didn't come up with these categorizations. Right? These were already there. Right? That's the context that the early Christians found themselves in. Paul wasn't the only person who would write about this household code, so did Peter. Right? The categories of relationship, these categories are already there. They were there from the time of Aristotle. So important was these categories of relationship that were written into the Greco-Roman law. Right? So if you are living at the time, listening to Paul, your ears would have picked up and go, hey, that sounds really familiar. Uh, and, and, and the context of that time was that it, it's 
the laws were written in such a way that the husband, right, really is the, the figurehead. Right, the, it's all resolving, it's all revolved around uh, the kind of the husband, father, and of course, there are servants in the house, he would be the masters of that house. So the rule of the father figure uh, as the head of the Roman household is autocratic and absolute. Uh, he makes all the decisions for the family, the wife, the children, including all the slaves. But what happens, so this, that's the Greco-Roman world, what, what happens when a family becomes Christian? What happens when the whole family becomes follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, as often uh, as it did happen you know, frequently in that, in that period? How would being a follower of Jesus transform these relationships? Well, you know, so before there were Christians, these relationships were impacted by a broken and sinful world. And so we could say that while it was God's will for the husband and father to be the head of the household, but because it was a broken and sinful world, headship often became about authority and control. And in fact, that's what the, the law was there to protect. The law was there to protect, to make sure that the husband remains the one who is in control, who has the authority. But that's, that's broken. And Jesus came to redeem these relationships as well. We call them institution, right? Marriage, education, family. So here we have Paul in prison, a single man, not a father, not a husband, and not a slave. He's kind of a Roman citizen. What gives him the right to tell, you know, the church right at that time, what gives him the right to tell how people how to be a husband, wife, or slave? See, you know, this is not Paul or the New Testament giving us a prescriptive list um, of behaviors, right, to follow. No, this is Paul, this is the gospel coming into the society, redeeming it and changing it. So here's what I think it means. Right? Let me just give an analogy so to help us understand. So imagine you, you're, you're in, you're, you live in India, right? you're a Hindu. Uh, and you know that if you are a Hindu in India, there is something called a caste system, right? Almost written into the law. Uh, and the, the, the lowest of the lowest are the untouchable. And, and nothing could change that. But there are, there are Hindu Christians. There are people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens in their society is that now a Hindu believer has to then ask the question, now, now that I'm a Christian, how should the gospel impact, you know, the way I treat fellow Hindus who are from a different caste? That's the kind of scenario that is happening here, right? So if, if we believe in Jesus, then Jesus will have to change the caste system. And in the same way, Paul here is writing to the Ephesians to help them live as Christians to help them to seek their approval from God now, not from the law, not from Caesar. And so I think it comes down to this. And here's my application. And you, may not, you don't have to agree. It's, these are complicated uh, passages. But I think it comes down to this. I think it comes down to the choices we make. doesn't matter what your situation is right now this afternoon. You have the choice. 
You always have the choice. We always have the choice. And so previously, while it was all mandated by law, by tradition, now Paul tells the Ephesians believer that they have a choice and they must choose to behave in a God-honoring way in all the various relationships. So I'm just going to walk through very quickly how some of these things can apply to us. We live in a very different world now um, compared to Paul in a Greco-Roman world. Uh, and I'll just be talking about the choices that we have. So let's, let's start. All right. So choice means that there must be mutuality. That's what choice means. Right? You cannot be, it cannot be coerced by force or threat. These verses cannot be used uh, you know, as demand to coerce submission. So the husband cannot use this verse to the wife and say, you submit to me. Nor must the wife use these verses, right, to shame the husband into, you are the head of the house, you need to be doing something. That's not how it works, right? So each, each party, each of the party must choose, not out of, not out of the desire to be, uh, you know, uh, not, no, not using this law as a requirement, but because they want to be workmen, who are worthy of God's approval. People who understand God's word and how it needs to be applied. All right? So, uh, so I'm going to just kind of talk about the different scenario. And I just want to say it's really hard, right? Because we're just talking about general situation. And, and I'm always aware that there will, be, there will be exceptions. So if you are the exception, please don't get offended. Right? Oh, Josh, they mentioned my circumstances. I use discernment. All right. Pray that you be discerning and listening to what, is, what God is speaking to you this um, evening. Okay. So, first of all, wives, make the choice to submit willingly to your own husband. Not because that is demanded by the law, but because that's God's design for his world, that the husband is the spiritual head of the household. And so, therefore, give him your respect and honor. In our context today, it's almost the other way around. Right? Wives who choose to honor their husband and submit to their husband are actually counterculture. Right? Our, our tradition and culture today even prefer that you don't. But it is a choice. Make that choice. But precisely because it is a choice, you will also have to decide whether your husband is acting in line with God's design and purpose for your marriage. So it is a choice, but it is not a blind submission. And so therefore, you don't need to submit to him when he is acting out of line with God and Christ. And you also need to make a choice about how and what, with what you are feeding your mind as wives. Uh, and so when it comes to this space, uh, you know, sometimes uh, women fill their minds with romance, right? So it's one thing to fantasize about a romantic character in a novel or, or movie, uh, but the person that you are married to is not that character, 
He's not Brad Pitt. You, you might fantasize about a perfect husband who is the spiritual head of the house or doing everything right. But in reality, we are all imperfect. I think we're better off accepting that, yeah, that you know, your real husband is the one that God has given you and trusting God to work in his heart rather than the one that we kind of you know, fantasize in romantic novels. Husbands, choose to love your wife. Now, in our modern context, love means time and attention. So put away whatever gadgets or toys or tools or articles or screens and turn your attention towards your wife and study her like you did when you first got married, when you were wooing her. You got interested in everything that she was interested in. So again, speaking in general terms, man tends to be, you know, the kind of seek and conquer mindset. All right, once it's finished, you know, that, that's it. Uh, many women complain that their husband no longer pay attention to them after a few years in the marriage. We'll see about that. Uh, so just as one shouldn't neglect the care of, you know, his own physical body, it doesn't make sense. One shouldn't neglect to care for your marriage, for your spouse. So choose to pay attention to your wife. Be interested in her mind and her growth. Right? Think about how you can feed her mind and her soul, as Paul says here in verse 21, cleansing you know, your wife by the washing of water with the word. There is a quote from a book about marriage and sex that I really like. Um, it says to the husband, it says, you have no right to touch her body until you have touched her mind. Let me say that again. Husband, you have no right to touch her body until you have touched her mind. I think there is something there. I just want to add that, you know, it's not just the mind, but her soul and her heart, right? You, you need to nourish her. And, and so, husband, please put away pornography. Pornography hurts your own body, and it will hurt your marriage. That's not taking care of your own mind and body and your own soul. It's not a bad thing to pray as husband that you will continue to desire your wife. This is really serious because Paul writes elsewhere that whoever commits adultery with a prostitute unites the body of Christ, the church, with the prostitute. Because there is a profound connection between Christ and the church and a husband and a wife. Moving on, children, choose to obey and honor your parents. Choose, it's a choice. Do not conform to the pattern of the world. Now, many of you know that I love to read young adult fiction and novels. Uh, it's almost the most basic plot line in young adult novels that the parents are idiots. Right, parents are either incapacitated, emotionally unavailable, addicted to alcohol. Right, that launches the, that, so 
from a plot point of view, it's necessary then to launch that young adult uh, into a crusade to save herself, himself, or someone else. Right? Um, but it, it, it kind of casts the parents often in a negative light. Now, there might be some truth about this in reality. Some, some parents are unavailable. Uh, and some parents are unhelpful and emotionally distant. But even when that is the case, right, choose. I hope you make a choice to obey and honor your parents in the Lord, even when they are not the best parents in the world. By the way, there is no such thing as the perfect parents in the world, not even in the Bible. The only person that is perfect in the Bible is Jesus. And guess what? He didn't marry. He has no children. A single guy. And maybe the next best you could think of is Mary and Joseph, right? Mary and Joseph, we need a nativity scene. My plug there for you. But Mary and Joseph, right? You know, mother, parents of the, the Savior, what could go wrong? Well, guess what? Well, they lost, they lost, <laughs> they lost Jesus for three days in the temple. Make the choice of honoring your parents. Now, if your parents aren't Christian, then it's tough. It requires wisdom and patience. Love and honor them. And when you have a chance to explain why you are doing it, then explain that it's because God wants you to do it. Fathers, again, in the context here, because of um, the Greco-Roman world, it is addressed to the fathers because the fathers have the authority. Right? Um, but it, it could equally apply to parents. Uh, fathers, parents, do not exasperate your children. Took me a while to think about what, what that means, right? Because I think I do that a lot to my children. <laughs> Guilty. Right? But uh, let me just kind of think, think a little bit about this with you. I think it's about making a choice to be intentional in encouraging your children uh, and to think long-term when it comes to raising our children. So I know I'm not perfect as a parent. You can ask Sean and Trinity. I'm pretty sure there were many times when they are exasperated, they are frustrated, exasperated with me and Val. Like the time when we decided that they will not have a mobile phone in school. Everybody else seems to kind of be in a mobile phone zone already. And then when they were a little bit older, we kind of pulled back on the whole social media thing, all right? Uh, and so we believed that there was a time when, honestly, our children believed that they were the only kids in school who were still living in the dark ages. I think it's tough. Uh, good on them for kind of, you know, uh, eventually accepting it and appreciating it. Uh, and so that's, that's frustrating for them, but I think that was a good decision. I'm sure there are, there, are, there, are different, there, are, there are the decisions that we made that might be wrong, and I think we need to own that. Uh, but the point is, there are decisions that are made. We need to make this decision consciously on our part. So parents, do not be unthinking in our parenting. It's not about exercising our rights. Uh, the, the whole do it because I'm your father and because I told you so, uh, it's not going to work forever. That will just create frustration after a while. 
So take time to explain the why. Even when they roll their eyes, even when they give you pushbacks and attitudes, and teach them that you are, you're trying to do your best, too, as parents, to present yourself as someone, a worker, so that our approval comes from God. And if we do make a mistake, then there is always the forgiveness in Christ. But the point is, the good news is that children eventually all grow up to be brothers and sisters in Christ, which is a really good thing, in my opinion. And I look forward to that for my own children. And finally, uh, just a note about TV remotes. You know, you, <laughs> yeah, you may have paid for the TV, but there's only one king in the house, and he's Jesus. And so share that remote. Uh, finally, masters and slaves. Now, that's tricky, right? And so I just want to say a little bit more about this. So uh, I believe that the context for us as a church is that the kingdom of Christ is not political, uh, but it has political implication. By not political, I mean that it's not about power. So think about what Jesus said to Pilate. Right? My kingdom is not of this world. If it is, my father would have sent his army to stop this. No, Jesus' kingdom is, a, is an eternal kingdom. Uh, and Christ did not come to abolish slavery or racism, but he came to save sinners from sin. But the fact is that people who have been saved from sin, redeeming Christ, they are the ones who then abolish slavery and fight for all kinds of justice and equality. So think of people like Wilberforce, Martin Luther King. And so when Paul asked, you know, slaves to obey their masters, right? he's not condoning slavery. He's not saying this is a good thing. He's just telling them that's what's happening. Uh, and, you know, you have a choice now. And so it's no longer mandated by law, but there is a greater law, the law of love in Christ. Uh, and so uh, in Paul's time, in that household, there will be servants living with them, and indentured servants. Right? In some part, parts of the world, countries where I, uh, culture where I come from, yeah, we have lived-in maids. Uh, but in Australia, that's no longer the case. And so we might think of uh, the workplace. Right? That's kind of the most relevant context for us today. So here's what Paul is saying. Right? If you are employed, you're an employee, make a choice to do your job well. Right? Wholeheartedly as serving the Lord and not people. Jim Elliott was a great example in this. Right. He was a guy who, whatever he was doing, be it studying, be it wrestling, he had that attitude that he was doing it for God. And in the same way, if you're employed, that's what you want to do. So seek the reward that is more than just money or career advancement. Seek to please God with your service. Work is God's purpose for mankind. So go back to Genesis 1. Adam and Eve had to work, Right? And all kinds of work are involved here. It doesn't have to be paid employment. Anything that, you know, is considered labor, requires effort, brings glory to God. Uh, so does your employer, so if you're employed, ask yourself this question. Does your employee see you tackle your task with joy? Do you contribute willingly 
at the staff meeting, even though honestly you really believe that it's a waste of time. I've been there. So try this, right? Believe me, it works, right? You're sitting in a meeting, you don't really want to be there, and your body language is kind of showing, but you can tell your brain, look, what if I just try and make a difference, right? What if I try and redeem this time? Right? And God, how, how can I contribute in such a way, right, that I can actually move the mission or, or create a so that my, my boss's job can be a joy? And most of the time when I've kind of changed my perception about things, I realize that it is not a waste of time. And so be the change. So Paul tells slaves to obey. That does not mean that he condones slavery. I've said that before. So he asks you to obey your boss, but it doesn't mean that your boss has the right to exploit you sexually or abuse your welfare by asking you to do something that is beyond your ability or requirement. It's a relationship, isn't it? So we need to go over to the other side of the fence. If you're a boss, you're an employer, um, if you want greater productivity from your staff, then you need to treat them like a member of your family. Uh, there's a lot of uh, 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 material out there. A lot of ink has been spilled about the new generation of workers, right? It's just this divided opinion. Some people say, oh, the, the new workers that are joining the workforce have no commitment. They, you know, um, they're very entitled. Um, they change job, you know, like they change wardrobe, etc., etc. But on the other hand, there are people who say, no, they're, they're new generations of workers. They're different. They have a different expectation. They grew up with a different upbringing. And therefore, if, if you want to motivate and retain a younger workforce, then you need to think about how you can mentor them. Because that's what they're looking for. They're looking for a boss who is looking to, uh, willing to invest in them, see them as individuals, not just as a, you know, some, something on the product line. And that this generation is looking for more than just a steady income, right? It used to be that, you know, a paycheck is enough to keep a person in a job, or that's no longer the case. Your bosses need to treat, you know, your staff like a member of the family. Think about their welfare. And if you do that, then you find that there is, there is that commitment will start to come in. Also, finally, be clear about the mission and purpose of your workplace. Nothing frustrates the younger generation than to just kind of keep doing the same thing. They, they want to know why they're doing it, right? They want to change the world. And so in conclusion, this is what I think it comes down to. In all these applications, all this relationship that we're doing, uh, we need to be clear about our why. Paul is here doing that. Right? These aren't just a set of rules about relationship. It's a choice that we choose because of a greater desire to live our lives so that we are approved by God. I want to finish with the story of John Allen Chow. Right? Uh, do you remember this guy? No? Yeah, some people. All right, so um, he's a missionary. Um, who was found dead on, uh, in October, sorry, November 2018, about two years ago. 
Uh, he, was, uh, he, was, he was killed by an unreached tribe uh, of Indians um, in a place called um, North Sentinel. Uh, and so he was, he, you know, he again you know, he saw that these people needed the gospel. Uh, he paddled a canoe across this island and tried and tell them about Jesus, but he ended up being speared. And my, my first thought was when I heard this story in 2018, I was really surprised that there was still an unreached tribe. Think about it, right? We live in a generation of internet and planes and everything, and that there's still a tribe that is still living in darkness, spiritual darkness. Uh, during that time, there was a lot of uh, debate in the mission, uh, mission world about whether did he do the right thing, right? It was divided. Some people said that, yeah, he, he was... Um, uh, he shouldn't have done that. He should have made, you know, there was more preparation, etc. I, I don't know. So was he foolish or was he brave? The thing about his story was that he was very, it's a very familiar story to Jim Elliot's story. Right? Jim Elliot himself right, eventually got killed by the Orca Indians, unreached tribe in that time. We had a team of people that went to reach them and that tribe eventually got saved. He is no fool who give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Friends, my point is very simple. Right? If your goal in life is a happy marriage, then in heaven there is no marriage. If your goal in life is successful children, you send them for all kinds of tuition, things like that. Nothing wrong with that. Well, guess what? In heaven, there will be no parent and child. There will be no masters and slaves. We will all be brothers and sisters in Christ. What is your purpose in life? Where do you get your identity from? He is no fool who give what he cannot keep. You can't keep any of this to gain what we will never be able to lose. I'm going to pray. Gracious Lord and, and Savior, as gracious God and Savior, have mercy on us. We know that we are broken. We were darkness, but now we've been brought into the light. Lord, for, for some of us tonight, who need to be liberated from pornography, from sin, from anything that binds us, uh, we ask for your help. Give us courage. For those of us who have been hurt by relationship, we ask for your healing. That we might live our life seeking approval from you and not from the world. Amen.